0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's try that one more time, since <clears throat> I am new. So you guys have to show me some level of uh, courtesy. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. My name is uh, Gijo. As As Chad prayed over me and for me and for this message, thank you, Chad, for that. And thanks for leaving this uh, exactly where it should have been. So this is perfect. I am probably better known in this room for two things. I I work for Campus Outreach, so some of you college students, really good to see you. I'm proud of you for coming early. I thought you'd come to the later service. That's what I would be doing, but good for you. And I'm also probably better known as uh, Amy Joseph's husband. She spoke at the Women's... Yeah, I got a little sister amen right there. That was good. So thank you for that. That's my wife. She'll be here at the 11 a.m. service, so uh, maybe she'll come early. So um, I also am just really thrilled to get to preach the next three weeks after this, so four weeks total. Usually, I come and go and don't really get to stay long, and so I, I plan to stick around after, mostly because I have to. I think there's another service these days. So, and, But more than that, um, if uh, something resonates with you and you want to email, just please feel free to do that through Chad and Mike, and I would love to connect afterwards. I had lunch with uh, your pastor, Stephen, this week, and made a deal with him. He said, listen, if you could just really do a terrible job that when I get back, they'll be longing for me like they're longing for Jesus to come back. So so I'm going to oblige, and uh, we'll take care of that. So, well, we're in the season called the Advent, the coming of Christ. And let me uh, frame this out for you a little bit. There is this thing called the liturgical calendar. And in this liturgical calendar, it's a yearly cycle that corresponds to the life of Jesus from his birth, through his life, through his resurrection, and even beyond that to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so it involves some major holidays, Easter, obviously, uh, Christmas as well. And this is the season in which we're kicking off the coming of Christ. And you've heard it over and over, but it's a a season in which um, the, the theme of waiting, the idea of having to wait on things really just emerges. This goes beyond the sense of like, you know, your children having to wait for their Christmas gifts to be open on the, on the morning of Christmas, it goes beyond that to something really deep into our hearts. And so, what I want to do for the next four weeks is really talk about this theme, uh, kind of weave together uh, a story from the book of Luke, and in particular, Zechariah. This character I want to introduce you to in a second if you haven't been familiar with him. But so, weave together Luke 1, the story of Zechariah, and this theme of waiting. And how we're going to do that is this morning I want to talk a little bit about this idea of what is God up to while we wait? Like what in the world is God doing while, he calls it, while he's causing us to wait on him? The second is this idea that, that w- what is God up to um, when God seems eerily silent? right? Like when he just doesn't seem to speak. And we just want a word, we need direction, we need him to speak, and yet we get silence. And um, the third week... In three weeks, I want to talk about waiting and waiting, W-A-D-I-N-G, uh, in the midst of shame. Like there's a, there's a, um, the part of the story has a story of shame to it. I want to talk a little bit about that. And then finally, in week four, we're going to talk about when the waiting is over. So that's where we're going. That's the direction. And after today, you can decide whether you want to come back, I guess. So I'm excited to be with you for the next few weeks. Let me uh, jump on in. Wait, right? W A I-T, wait. Wait, in a sense, is a four-letter word for many of us, isn't it? Like, it's this, it's this if, you're, if we're really honest, it's a lost art today. It is, in a sense, it's a notion, um, any kind of a notion of having to wait is a bit of a curse. It's a bit of a, the bane of the American existence. Especially for Americans, this is a deal, right? Like, this idea of waiting... Um, causes us to rage, it causes us to demand, it causes us to be angry, it causes us to complain, to be bitter, uh, to really turn on anyone else and every, anything else uh, when we have to wait. Um, much of this can be traced back to technological advances I'm, for some of you i 'm about to share a few things that you have no idea about, but back in the day, uh, there was this thing called a library, and you had to wait <laughs> I know they 're still around uh, but well, you have to wait for someone to return a book so you could check it out, right? Does anyone here remember these days? And uh, all right, thank you. Uh, anyone who's over forty can uh, can attest to this. And how about this? For some, I know this still happens, but there's these television shows, and you would have they would leave you at a cliffhanger, and you would have to wait a whole six days and twenty three hours till the next episode. For, for the rest of you, you just binge watch on Netflix and you watch the whole se- season. In an evening, right? Don't go to bed until you've, you've, you're done, right? And, and there's, there's also these things called photo labs that actually, I know you're thinking, what in the world is a photo lab? You, you would take pictures, you didn't know what you, the picture that you took, and you'd have to turn it into a lab, and then they got really, really brilliant. They said, we're going we're gonna, to uh, help them not wait. We're going to make this 24-hour, like, return. Do you all remember that? Like... And we had to pay extra for that, but it was so worth it. And then you saw the pictures, and they were always, you know, they were like, ooh, I'm going to throw that one away. Like, oh, uh, it was bad. We, um, but waiting has become such uh, a thing that we, um, it, it causes us to rebel, revo- revolt on this. This is not something that I'm simply saying, but I read articles from Time, Huffington Post, NPR, even Self Magazine, one of my favorites. And uh, let me just give you one quote uh, just to summarize this, but this is the quote. It, it'll, well, actually, you know what? There's a video that comes first. So why don't we show the video first? Oh, no. Wait for it. Wait for it. I got you, did I? That's the video. You saw it. All right, good. Uh, you get the point. Uh, you have to wait and wait and wait. This happened in the middle of the Alabama-Georgia game yesterday. No no, no, no joke. And I got up, and I left. And I was like, they're going to lose anyway. I, I wanted Georgia to win. That's a long story. But anyway, moving on. So let me give you this quote now. Um, he says, we, speed date. You can go to the next slide, I think, there. Yeah. Eat fast food. Use self-checkout lines in grocery stores. Uh, try the one-weekend diet. Pay extra for overnight shipping. Honk when the light turns green. Thrive. Or dive on quarterly earning reports, speak in half sentences, start things but don't fin. (laughs) It's an author from, um, actually, an NPR article. And they go on to say that that this is not just simply a bad habit, but there's something insidious in us that is really broken that is... um, That God is speaking into, my friends. So, because you see, the Advent season, the season in which we are waiting for Jesus to return, is in a sense, it's 400 years of a radio silence from God, and when He begins to speak into that silence. And He speaks into that silence in the most beautiful way. Um, He speaks through the birth of His Son. Now, if you're like me and you hate to wait, right? And you happen to be single, let me go ahead and tell you don't get married. (laughs) <laughs> right? Because uh, my wife has to wait on me so much. See, y'all, th- y'all thought I was going to talk about her, and um, I've been married too long to do that. That's foolish. But, uh, but if you're married, and uh, yeah, some of you young guys are like, yeah, you're m- young married, like, talk about her. Mm, my bad. Uh, if, you're ha- if you're here and you're married, but you don't have children, let me tell you, if you hate waiting, the last thing you want to do is go ahead and have a child. Because the amount of time—I can say this in the service. I can't say this again because they're coming. But the amount of times it takes to get them dressed for Sunday mornings, like it'll pull your hair out, right? Like it's like, oh my goodness, we have Velcro shoes, and it still takes forever. And um, if you're here and you are—you know—you do have children, you can't wait for them to get out of the house. And if you're here and they're out of the house, you can't wait for grandchildren. And if um, you can't—if uh, you're here and you have grandchildren, you can't wait for them to come and see you. The reality is we have to wait, and waiting is, is in, just part of our lives. And if we're really, really honest, right, if you're truly, truly honest, do you know who the worst person is to wait on? It's God, right? If we're really honest, somehow in God's timing, it's just way off compared to my timing and your timing. If we're really being sincerely honest and, and open, the reality is that it seems to me that God seems cruel in the midst of waiting. Whether that's evil people that are succeeding and you're being righteous and just waiting and waiting and waiting and you get radio silence from God. Maybe it's that there's a struggle with sin or there's just, just struggle with pain in your life and you're thinking, God, will an answer please come? And you get wait, right? So it could be a health issue. It could be unanswered prayers. The reality is that God prays in all of our prayers. There are, there, there are yes, no, and there's wait, Right? And, and I love the first one. I don't really like the second one. No, but I hate that last one, wait. And oftentimes I find that God has given me that. The, the best way to get the most out of this topic and even the next few weeks um, is in a sense to make this personal, right? I just want you to take a second where you are and begin to think about an area in your life. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's uh, a no. Maybe it's just simply the, 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 the response of wait, to be still and know that I'm God, I want you to take a second and just think about that and bring this message and this morning in, in light of that, in that part of your heart that seems that God is just not speaking. Okay? Just take a second, 30 seconds if you will, and I'll pray. Jesus, 30 seconds seems <laughs> so long, and uh, 10, 15, 20, 25 years of praying for things seem cruel when you haven't answered, and, and yet I think about those 400 years of, of God's people just waiting for you to show up, and I'm thankful for the gift of waiting. Teach us what you're doing in the midst of that, I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let's jump into the story in Luke 1, and Luke 1 starts with Luke's account um, to the, um, the most excellent Theophilus, and there's a lot there that I'm going to have to go through, but I want to jump into verse 5 and just lay the context. Kind of, this morning, in a lot of ways, is, is a lot of, of setting the stage, and so let me do that starting in verse 5. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So the the story begins, and we're introduced to some significant characters, aren't we? This is uh, Zechariah, and there's a few things we learn about Zechariah. One, he's married to Elizabeth. Two, he's a priest, and, um, and in that, they are both incredibly um, strong, religious, like righteous people, right? Like these, these weren't just folks that were in name only uh, following uh, Yahweh, but these were folks that had strong religious heritage. They really were both truly righteous, and we also learned that they were both old. And, um, and then we also learned something very significant about them, um, that <clears throat> in verse 7, we learned that they were childless. In other words, they weren't able to conceive. They did not have um, a child. And so this is a big deal in those days. It's a big deal today. Um, But even more back then, that this was such a part of their lives, of their heritage, of their legacy, of their identity, was really built into their heritage. And so one of the things that brought incredible amounts of shame and embarrassment to them was probably not having children. Um, So that's context. Let's keep reading in the context, starting in verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Let me just simply say here that a lot like, uh, maybe like the the national, um, for those who are in reserves, right? Like if you're, uh, serving the military and reserve. You have to kind of go away and serve for a weekend and then come back home. Well, in the, the Levitical order, the priest uh, here, like they would have to go and spend certain times away serving in the in the temple. And this was Zechariah's time to go do such a thing. He lived away. He came into the temple, was on duty, and this was his time to go into the, um, into the temple while those on the outside were praying. This was like tradition back then, and the priests would go in and they'd make, they'd make offerings. They would burn incense, and this was exactly what's going on. And so then let's pick up in verse 11, and I'm just going to read through 13 for now. Then, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Let me just pause there. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're in a room all by yourself, and without knowing it, without hearing it, without even, like, recognizing someone is in the room with you, right? Have you ever felt that way? You're like... Oh, wow, when did, how did you, what just happened? Like, that's kind of what's going on right here, right? Like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the, the, the uh, angel of the Lord appears. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, duh, and was gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. So we learned there that this angel of the Lord appears. And often when an angel of the Lord appears, what happens? The first things out of his mouth make a lot of sense. He's like, don't be afraid. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Like you're, uh, I am an angel of the Lord, but do not be afraid. Zachariah, and I love the fact that he says Zachariah and he calls him by name. And I love the fact that he goes on to say, your prayer has been heard, right? Your prayer has been heard. I can imagine at this point, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. That Zachariah thought to himself, what prayer? Like I've been praying a lot. Wait a second. You don't mean to tell me the prayer I prayed decades ago for a child, right? Uh, my dad is 77 and my mom is 76. And he's, uh, they, he has a lot of health issues. And um, there have been multiple times in the last year that we thought this might be the last weekend uh, or last time that we have with him. And God has continued to keep him alive and well, and, and in a still in a bad state. But um, when I read this, I kept thinking about folks of old age. I've spent a good bit of time with my dad in the last few years, and I thought, that would be crazy <laughs> to think about, like, my parents having a child at this point. And that's a little bit of what they were experiencing. Cause my, and no doubt, in their village and where they were, they, they were probably grandfatherly and grandmotherly in a lot of ways, and they're having a child, prayers that, like, I know he probably stopped praying decades ago are being answered. This is a crazy, crazy moment for Zachariah. And um, he must have thought to himself, I, I stopped praying that years ago, and yet you didn't stop listening, right? There's incredible amounts of beauty in here. So my question is this, what in the world has God up to when he causes us to wait? right? What in the world is he up to? Like, what is he doing? Why does he cause waiting to happen into our lives? Well, I can't answer every aspect of your story and what God is doing in your life, but I can share a couple of things that God's been doing in me and through me and things that he's been showing me um, that I can only see through this gift of waiting, okay? And let me give you um, maybe one other disclaimer, or maybe this is kind of a, a warning label, <laughs> a warning label for a message. So, this message could feel a bit incomplete, okay? As I was writing and as I got to the end of this, I actually told my wife, I said, Aim, this is like, I feel like I'm gonna leave them here and this is gonna be pretty frustrating for them. And, and her response was as often so insightful. She said, well, that's kind of how it happened in the Bible days, right? Like we read the rest of the story in the next chapter or verse or even next book, right? But yet in those times, between those verses, there was a sense of like, God, come, please come, like show up. You're not showing up. What's going on here? So in a lot of ways, this can feel incomplete. And, um, and I don't mean to be uh, insensitive to that. and I don't mean to just hang, hang, leave you out hanging to make you come next week. Um, but the reality is that um, this is part of life. The second thing I just really want to say is kind of a warning, is that I, that I fear that this might come across a bit insensitive, Right, um, and what I mean by that is, if some of you are going through an acute season of pain and sorrow in your life, just get getting God's word. Sometimes, right, uh, you might not be ready to hear those things, and I understand that. I've been in these places at different times, even though I'm not there now. God's word is still truth and God's word is still help and God's word is still freedom and a pathway that we can get on and yet my goal is not to throw a a, pick like a quick salve onto a deep deep wound okay if you're going through that and um so the the and if you're here and you minister to a friend who's in a lot of pain and is one of those seasons let me encourage you not to throw a quick verse at them right like well God's sovereign and all things work together for good like that's not you know just to um, ameliorate a quick solution to something is is not often the most helpful it 's actually incredibly hurtful at times so if you 're in the season, especially in light of Christmas, let me just encourage you that this is a great place to start a conversation, but never a great place to end and a great place to begin to process some of this is in relationships with those that are amongst you, right a meal, a one on one life groups, round tables for those who are in VP. So let me encourage you to go to the pastors, to elders, if, if you're in one of those seasons. Don't sit in this alone, okay? So what in the world is God up to? I really only have one point. <laughs> I know that's going to shock you. A lot of this was set up uh, for this one point. But let me just say it simply, and I'm going to f- um, flush it out a little bit. Waiting, right, waiting is God's gift to work you out of the center of you. And to put Christ where he belongs, right? Like waiting is a gift to you by God to work you out of the center of your own heart and your own mind um, to help you see that Christ really is at the center. If you, give, if you continue to read this context, I just want you to recognize the centrality of God in the story. I said earlier that there's significant characters, and there are significant characters, But they're not central characters. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not central. They're not even central. John is not even central. He's just a forerunner. This is such a great picture of of this point. The simple fact is that God is at the center of this part of the text and the entirety of Scripture. And we see that through the person of Jesus. Um, So let me just read this and just be, let me go back. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So we know that the angel is the angel of the Lord. Um, Zechariah saw him and he said, don't be afraid. We'll go to the next um, verse, verse 4, 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a uh, people prepared for the Lord. I don't know if you caught that, but over and over and over, there's incredible amounts of references to the centrality of God in the story, that the angel of the Lord appears. He will be great in the sight of God, talking about John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will bring God, people back to God. He will go before the Lord. He will make uh, a people ready. And the, the simple thought is that, you know, if you really going to go to Zechariah at this point and go, um, I doubt he says this, right? I doubt he responded, even in his own heart, Lord, really? This is all about you? Like, what about me? <laughs> right? And that's how I can respond. Um, but the reality is that um, waiting reveals to you and I what's truly, truly at the center of our own hearts and minds at times, Right? And what God does through waiting is he begins to gently and over time begin to kind of unearth that thing which is central so that he can be in that place. Like, um, before you uh, judge Zechariah too harshly, you know, um, the story continues, and we'll get into this next week. But he goes on and he doubts God. Now, I thought about this at first, and I thought, how in the world can a priest who knows all these stories, and by the way, for those who are in this lineage at this time, if you're a Jewish person re- reading at this time, lots of thoughts about them being blameless, about them being childless is referring you back to stories that you've heard over and over and over again, right? Like the stories of those who are barren, like, um, like Samuel, like, um, like Abraham, right? All those stories are coming back, and yet what does Zechariah do? He begins to doubt But before you get too uh, judgmental on Zechariah, it's not that he didn't believe God's power, my friends. He didn't believe God's power for him, (laughs) right? It's not that he didn't believe that God was love. It's just that he had a really hard time believing that God was love to him, right? It's not that he didn't believe that, that God couldn't forgive, but it's like, wait, you can forgive me for what I have done? He was in the temple making sacrifices for others. Little did he know That his greatest pain, not having uh, an answer to God's prayer, would be the forerunner of the greatest thing that he needed, right? Love and forgiveness and God himself. So God being central, right, is truly the only way for us to be significant. For God being at the center of our stories is really the only way in which we find our true amount of significance. Um, So... Let me share this kind of more anecdotally, and then um, I'll slowly bring this to a close. And I thought about this kind of a bit of a humorous way, but I thought about the answer to this, my friends, is old St. Nick, right? Old St. Nick. And you're thinking to yourself, really? You're going to talk about Santa Claus? Um, Well, show the picture. Uh, Does anyone, this is kind of a great uh, Jeopardy moment. Does anyone know who that is? You can raise your hand. You can guess wrongly. It's okay. No one, no one has any clue. Don't worry. I wouldn't have either. We play Jeopardy in my house. I lose sometimes to my children. So um, uh, this is uh, uh, Nicholas C- Copernicus. Does anyone know who he is? It's okay if you don't. All right. Very good. Well, let me just simply say, give you context to this history lesson. But Copernicus was, um, <laughs> was a revolutionary in his time, whether he wanted to be or not. Uh, Back in the day, there was this common sense notion, right, that the sun and the moon and the stars all revolved around the earth, right? Uh, There was a guy named Ptolemy who said those kind of things. And the reality is that um, because of that wrong view, there were a lot of scientific uh, proofs. There were mathematical formulas. There were... um, there were these theories that all had to build in these kind of false constants to make things happen. And life just didn't make sense in that scientific world because they started with the wrong premise. And that premise was that the earth, everything was revolving around the earth. Y'all with me? You kind of know where I'm going with this. So along comes Copernicus, who was, he was a mathematician. He was an astrologer. And he went on to say something kind of crazy. He says, hey, guys, uh, I think it's kind of a, he called it a heliocentric view, right? I don't think it's the earth. But it really is that the sun is what the earth and all the other stars and planets, well, the uh, planets are revolving around. And he received incredible amounts of persecution, even from the church, in this theory. Um, And yet, over time, even after his death, uh, his theory became truth, right? Right. That the, that the solar system that we're part of is does not revolve around the earth, but it really revolves around the sun. And I thought about this because the reality is today in our context, in San Diego, maybe even here in this room, and maybe even more f- further, more clearly in your own hearts, there is a belief <laughs> that certain things revolve around the wrong center, right? There's a false starting point that we are the center and that God and answers to prayer and circumstances all revolve around those things. Those things are significant and God cares deeply about it because you are significant and he cares deeply about you, but they aren't central. And as hard as I like to not think that I'm those things, um, that's simply not true. So just as the earth uh, finds its significance being centered around the sun, you and I find our significance by being centered around the true Um, God's son, like the the true God. Um, Tim Keller, according to Chad, the fourth part of the Trinity, um, he says this, If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. Right? That hit me (laughs) like a ton of bricks. Um, So waiting reveals what's at the center. Right? Waiting reveals what our lives revolve around at times. Waiting also reveals God's deep, deep love for us. Because the reality is that when God is central, we begin to see and experience our significance. By the way, Isaiah 40 is an incredible parallel story or, or, or to this, okay? Isaiah 40 is the, God's people in exile, and God's answer has come. And and he starts by saying, comfort, comfort my people, right? Your time of sinning against me has come to an end. I'm, I'm showing up. And it ends with saying those who... Um, Wait on the Lord will renew their strength, right? Remember that context? That's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And a lot of what you see in Isaiah 40 is God recentering them around the creator of the universe. Beautiful, beautiful chapter. I, I really commend that to you. So waiting, in a sense, is God's gift to you to move you out of the center and yet help you be significant in his grand story. And the implications of this is that, um, that simply when you begin to realize this, the wait of waiting, turns into worship, right? That when you begin to realize this, that the, the pain that you experience begins to have a lining of purpose. The temporal issues that you have, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18, talks about this. Really, you begin to see an internal perspective um, that when God brings waiting into your life, it brings a space that only can be created for your savior, right? That in a sense, he's creating space in your soul um, and sometimes through the pathway of pain and sorrow, um, friends, that there's no answer of no and there's no answer of wait that doesn't have you and, at his, in his heart. It's enlarging a place for you to have him and more of him and to experience him. He's the one who turns our waiting to worship. He's the one who provides strength. He's the one who renews our strength, as Isaiah 40 says. Um, For those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagle. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Let me just end um, with a quick story that might be helpful, and then we'll close this out. um, Tis the season, and I actually thought about the story just recently because my kids, I have an 11 and a 10 and a 5-year-old, and they are all into Legos. If you've ever been around our house, like you want to wear your shoes, right? Like you don't want to step on Legos because that's... Uh, what happens. I don't know how they make it through their room, but they do somehow, unscathed, but I never do, so got to wear shoes. And, uh, but years ago, uh, let me just, real quick context. There's often people call it a trilemma, right? That God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and yet allows evil into this world. That's a, that's a real thing. I don't mean to shortchange that, but that's a real thing. Well, leave that in the back of your context. And so my, uh, one of my children comes to me and he says, hey, Dad, um, we got him a, um, a tablet at the time. And he knew exactly, a year later, he knows exactly what he wants. And he goes onto to Amazon and he points out the Lego uh, set that he wants. He's got a little character that he wanted. This is the Lego set he wanted. And he's like, Dad, I, I want you to buy this for me right now. And I was like, I looked at it and I said, absolutely not. I'm not buying that for you. What, what he didn't know was that my wife had actually bought a, a larger uh, thing of that same toy with that character in it that was way too much money. We actually argued about it. And it was like in our garage at the time. And I thought to myself, I'm not gonna buy you that, but I'm gonna hold off on explaining why this answer is no. And he just goes crazy. He's like, dad, he goes, you are all knowing. Like, you know the Amazon password, right? Like, you're all powerful. Like, you've, I know you got money in that account for that. It's only $20. And, uh, and yet, you seem to be so evil, right? Uh, you think I'm kidding. Those are exact words. Josh will attest to my kids, because he knows my kids, that they've given me those words before. So, uh, and yet, so good y'all are here, because I don't think I'll share this in the next service, so um, while they're here. But can, can I just say that our eternal God doesn't live in the time and space that you and I do. Um, he doesn't live here as we do. So there's, it's far more complex than the trilemma. I'm not making it easy. I'm not saying that all the answers are just, let's throw a salve of a verse on it. But I am saying, um, when you can't trust his ways, look to his hands and trust his heart. Let me pray to that end. Jesus I know we're going into communion, and what a gift that you have given to us as a reminder of your love for us, of the fact that you have been broken for us, that your blood has been shed for us. Um, that God, we don't get you oftentimes. Would you give us grace to trust you even in the ways that we don't get you? So give us grace. When we don't understand your ways, to look to your hands and to trust your heart. Lead us through the power of the Holy Spirit to that end. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.